just to quickly debrief you on what we talked about so far, uh, we talked about the Book of Tobit as a two true canonical book. Uh, it's from the secondary canonical books that were omitted by the Protestants. We talked about the main theme of the book. And we also talked about the whole idea uh, of the book uh, about uh, Tobit uh, Senior and Tobias or Tobit Junior um, and um, the kind of life they, they led, the background, the setting, and the meaning uh, of the different stories that we gonna go over. Last week, uh, not last week, last time we covered this, uh, we did the Bible study. Um, we said that two different scenes between Tobit praying uh, so many hundreds of miles away from Sarah and the prayers of the two people were parallel in so many ways, yet different situations. And God accepted their prayers at the same time. And God is going to use each one to solve the other's problem that they think is unsolvable. So we're going to do chapter four and five today. If you follow with me on your Coptic reader or on the screen. Therefore, then Tobit considered that his prayer was heard so that he might be able to die. He called his son Tobias to him. Like I told you last time when we talked about how, you know, the amount of despair that Tobit was in and the prayer that he was asking God, if life is that difficult, please, you know, take me with you now so I, I don't have to go through all that. And we spend a little bit of time talking about this and the idea in the scripture when this happens, it is not a call to end somebody's life. It's a call for God to intervene and kind of end this period here. It's, it's very different from having self-inflicted harm. Um, but the, the one thing I want you to really pay attention to here um, is... Um, he considered that his prayers was heard. He considered that his prayer was heard. Bob Shenouda used to talk about this idea that some people when they pray, let's say I'm standing and I'm praying for something, I'm speaking to God, I'm opening up my heart. There's something I'm going through and I'm, 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 I'm really speaking my heart out to God. Pope Shenouda spoke of this idea that some people during that prayer, they know that their prayers were accepted. It's, it's a very strange feeling that you're praying for something and nothing is done yet, nothing happened yet, but right in the middle of prayer, you get this reassurance that this is taken care of, this is done, don't worry. And usually this happens when, you're, when you open your heart up and speak with God. Like we talked about in the other Bible studies and meetings, um, Anna, the mother of Samuel, when she poured herself out before God. Um, Euphemia, the mother of St. Mina, same story. We talk about so many, St. Paul pouring himself out, David pouring himself out. So the idea of pouring your heart out to God, you're letting everything out, you're speaking your heart out. Sometime in those intense prayers, you get that amazing reassurance that God has heard your prayer. It's taken care of. And you come 
rejoicing and happy as if that thing you're seeking or that thing that's really bothering you is taken care of. That's why Hannah, the mother of Samuel, when she prayed that deep prayer and she was pouring herself out before God, I told you, she came home, she was happy, she washed, she washed her face, she washed her face, she, she, she cooked, she ate dinner with her husband, and she was cheerful. Doesn't make any sense. She was just pouring herself out and weeping and crying that Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. So, so this is what I'm talking about, that in the middle of that prayer, you recognize, you realize, you have that deep sense that God has accepted your prayer. So that's what happened with Tobit. That prayer was so deep that he considered that his prayer was heard, that, that what he was seeking from God was heard and God's about to act. He, in his mind, he was asking this will all can only end in one way, which is death. If Tobit dies, then all his misery will end with him. But God had other plans for him. And that's what we're going to see. And he said to him, my son, hear the words of my mouth and set them like a foundation yard. So now that Tobit realized that my prayer was heard and part of it was him to end it, so I might die. Let me call my son and tell him my final kind of um, commandment, my final advice for him. Um, so that way he can live by the rest of his life. He told him, hear these words and make this a foundation for your life. So when God will receive my soul, bury my body and you shall honor your mother all the days of your life. So he's saying, remember, when all those people used to die in the street and I used to get in trouble and I, I escaped death twice because I was trying to honor the dead bodies of the Israelites and in Persia and Medes by burying them, don't neglect burying my own body. <coughs> and in the ancient culture, in even our culture, this is something honorable to do for a dead person. That's something that, that's, that, that, that's to honor their dead bodies to do that. And you shall honor your mother all the days of her life. Honor your mother. And we're going to get to that in a second. For you are obliged to be mindful of what great perils she suffered because of you in her womb. One thing, guys, that we learn by doing Bible studies, book clubs, meetings, youth meetings, servants meeting, that we imprint in our head the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview. If I have one objective to do as a priest is to accomplish, is to imprint the Christian worldview in the minds and hearts of every young man, every young lady, every youth, every person um, that I interact with, that their view on the world, they're looking at the world through a Christian lens. They don't see it any other way. We wipe out all the discipleship of the world and replace it by a Christian worldview. So when we do a Bible study, like today, we're talking about different things. But look, the Bible is telling us how to think of our mom. Somebody may read over this and glance, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to honor her and be nice to her. But see what, what the Bible is saying. Somebody, Tobit Sr., is passing away, at least in his mind he is, is telling his son, now don't neglect that. Your mom has to be honored. Um you're obliged to be mindful of what great perils she suffered because of you in the womb. Now you're 30, let's say, 
But remember, 30 years ago, how much she went through, how much she went through for you in her womb, the pain, the, 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 you, what the discomfort, whatever, whatever she went through in those, in those days. Um, some youth, young guys, you guys are mature and, and amazing and humble and obedient and submissive. You're amazing. But some other youth might say, like, um, like I heard this before. My parents have never done anything good for me. And I was like, come here, Habibi. Um, when you were one month old, who changed your diapers? Did you do it yourself? He was like, no. Who fed you with a spoon? Who gave you milk? Who held your hand and take you to doctors? When you were sick and running a fever 101, who was staying up all night next to you? Was Were you doing all this to yourself? Just because now you're a little bit, you know, a teenager and you think you can, the sky's the limit, now you forget all that. And this is a clear example for us guys to never, never, ever forget those who took care of us. We have to value them. We have to honor them. One of the high schoolers a few months ago was talking about, you know, the parents and how to value them. I told them, it was, it was a group discussion, and I told them, sadly, though, and I, I hate to say this, it's sad, that most people, they don't value their parents until it's too late, when they're gone. It's horrible to say, but that's the fact of life. So that's why we as a Christian worldview, when we adopt a Christian worldview, we have to adopt those things. And tonight, we think about our parents in a totally different way. We honor them. We remember what they do for us. We remind ourselves what they did and still do for us. This way, we honor them in ways unimaginable. Okay? So this, this helps us. This is good for us. Okay? Because when we do this to our parents, we'll do this for God. We'll value him. We're going to value our servants, our clergy, and everybody else. And trust me, when you get married, you're going to have the same outlook to your spouse, husband and wife. So this is good, really good for us. Okay. Let me change the screen to get you to the next verse. But she too will have completed the time of her life, bury her near me. So when she does finish her course too, don't forget to honor her the way you honored me and even in her death. Yet for all the days of your life, have God in your mind and be careful that you never consent to sin nor overlook the precepts of the Lord our God. Beautiful. So this person who's trying to give like final, you know, famous last words to his son, he sums it up in this order. And he said, put God before you at all times. And this is not new to the Christian mind. We hear this in the fathers. We hear this in the desert fathers. We hear this in the Psalms. We hear this in the New Testament. The idea of always be mindful of God. Of course, some people take this on extreme and say, you know, I, I throughout the day, I get busy with work. I get busy with this. And sometimes I don't think of God for a while. And then I think again of him. I mean, it's, it's normal to do that. But God is on your mind. You know, think about the most beloved person in your life. Think about the person you love absolutely. 
more than any other human being. And there's going to be a period of time when you get so busy with something, you might consciously, consciously not be aware that you're thinking of that person. But as soon as you, you finish that task, when you're aware, you think of them, they cross your mind or same with God. I mean, sometimes our attention, we're just paying more attention to one thing or another, but in the background, running God, everything we do. That's why those of you who think of God constantly during the lecture or during some work, they might not be thinking in the frontal lobe of God, but as soon as they finish, they turn on a sermon, they turn on a psalm, they even sing a psalm between classes or on their way back from work. So, so, so this is being mindful of God always. God is running in our mind and heart. And be careful that you never consent to sin nor overlook the precepts of the Lord our God. Consent to sin, that's taking sin lightly. Willingly knowing that this is sin and I'm going to do it. I know it's the great Lent, but this cheese looks amazing. I'm going to inhale it. Okay, so you're consenting to sin. I know that this is wrong, but you know what? It's been a rough week. I'm just going to do it. I know that this is wrong, but he did that or she did that. So I'm going to have to, you know, you know, defend myself. They, they, they can't do that. So do not consent to sin. Do not okay sin. Do not um, justify sin. That's even worse. Some of us justify sin. They call it other names. Okay. Nor overlook the precepts of the Lord our God. Give alms from your substance and do not turn away your face from any poor person, basically. For it shall be that neither will the face of the Lord be turned away from you in whatever way that you are able, so shall you be merciful. So the next thing that comes, think about those who need help. Think about those that were less fortunate. And, and guys, this is something that we should be mindful of in our prayers every single day, morning and night. Morning and night. In the morning, you pray for whatever you want, you want to pray for, but also make sure you pray for those, the poor, the needy, the incapacitated, those who have no one to remember them. Those so I could help and I didn't, and those that I should be helping and putting my heart to help them. Those that I'm not paying attention to that I should be and I'm not. So, so this should be part of our personal prayer every single day of our lives. That's why we, we need that. That's a requirement. That's a requirement to care for those who have no one else to care for them. So we, we have to do this. We have to be merciful and we have to do this intentionally. Not like when it happens bad and it comes out up, we'll do it. If it doesn't come up, okay, well, it has to be intentional. Our caring for everybody around us has to be intentional. Verse nine, if you have much distribute abundantly, if you have little, nevertheless strive to bestow a little freely for you store up for yourself a good reward for the day of necessity. Beautifully that we're reading the Old Testament, but you store up for yourself a good reward for the day of necessity. It always sounds like Christ saying, you store up for yourself a treasure in heaven. Give from your needs. Give from your needs in time, your needs in rest, your needs in money, your needs in food. Give from your needs. Give from your needs. You're going to enjoy 
and, and really, you're going to feel some joy and some blessing and some, uh, uh, you know, some work of the Holy Spirit that you never felt when you do that. You know, when, when, when you give from your own needs, not just the extras, not just the leftover time. We talked about this a couple of years ago with the youth, the idea of leftover time. That's what we give to God, leftover time. Leftover time of the day, leftover time of whatever for the service, leftover time. That's what God gets, the leftovers. So, so we have to give from our needs, not just the leftovers. For alms given liberates from every sin and from death, and it will not suffer the soul to go into darkness. Alms given will be a great act of faith before the Most High God for all those who practice it. So the idea of alms given. Um, we see this clearly in the writings of the fathers. The idea, like when you read here, that it's going to liberate you from every sin. How does alms given, how does given help us be liberated from every sin and from death? Can anybody help me with that, please? Don't be shy. Unmute yourself if you have an idea to share with us. Alms given liberates from every sin and from death. How? I'm going to give you a hint. The theme song, the theme hymn for the Great Lent, for the Great Fast. Blessed are those. God will do what? have mercy on them so alms given saint john chrysostom talks about this extensively how does giving liberate me from sin and, and i want you guys to pay attention to understand this and i think i talked about this in one of the sermons before that you know i heard the first time i heard this years a few years ago maybe three four years ago that giving helps cover the sins. I was like, this doesn't sound Christian. I, <laughs> I heard this somewhere else as if this is a, this is like a scam. Like, you know, is this uh, somebody maybe trying to make collections in the Protestant church or another church or something. But when I read the fathers, they were saying the same thing. And I said, I said, how could this be? So this is how the church thinks. And that's how the mind, the Christian mind thinks. Almsgiving is an act of love. Act, when you give from your needs, from your money, from your time, from whatever it is, it's an act of love. And remember that sinful woman, when she had the spike nard and opened it and, and poured it on Christ, and it was expensive. Christ said something very unique. She said she will be forgiven much because she loved much. Yes. So this is, this is exactly where the church gets it from. When you love much, you'll be forgiven much. And this is an act of love. When you do it much, you'll be forgiven much. When you have mercy much, you will, God will have mercy on you much. So, so this is the mind of the church. It's an act of love. It's nothing more. That's why when you do it for ulterior motives and other reasons, 
it's not acceptable. So it's not an act of love. So it doesn't count for anything. So it's an act of love. An alms given will be a great act of faith before the Most High God for all those who practice it. Can I add something, Ibuna? Sure. St. Paul in the this, in this second Corinthian when he says, give for, for from your abundance to the needy that there give from their abundance to the needy. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and St. Paul, St. Paul talks about, especially the Corinthians, because they had a lot of abundance. They, they had a lot of leftovers. He's saying, even use the extra that you have, that you have so much help your, help your, uh, help your poor brothers in Jerusalem. But also when we read about the Macedonians, St. Paul continues to talk about them as an example. He said they have given so much that they became poor. He's saying this is insane. That imagine if somebody keeps giving and giving and giving until he becomes poor. It's something that, uh, you know, anti-commonsensical. But some have done that in the Christian world and St. Paul attests to that. So, so, so the minimum is give from your abundance. But some people even give from their absolute need, like we hear so many examples of that in the Bible. So um, let me read this for you. Take care of yourself, my son, from all fornication, and except for your wife, never permit yourself to know such an offense. Never permit arrogance to rule in your mind and in your words. For in it, all perdition has its beginning. So let's take a pause here. Remember Sarah, when she was praying last time we did the Bible study. The seven husbands have died. And then she said something very unique. And I told you, this is a Christian mind. This is a Christian attitude toward marriage. She said, I'm not seeking marriage to fulfill my lust. I'm not seeking marriage for any lust for youthly reason like others do. Okay, it's something I'm seeking in purity and to live in godliness and to have something that God blesses and honors. We hear here a resemblance of that, that Tobit is telling his son Tobias or Tobit Sr. telling his son Tobit Jr. that stay away from fornication, fornication in the heart and the mind and physically. Stay away from any uncleanness. Do not touch anyone other than your wife. This is this is a scripture, guys. So if we go into school or work and people are doing it left and right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, they don't know what they're doing. That does not okay anything or change our worldview. That's why if our worldview is Christian, we're going to see things through that lens and know that whatever people do, they can do. At the same time, you know, the Persians and the Babylonians were doing zillion bad things. But people like Tobit and Tobias and Sarah and others living within that Persian society were keeping themselves and were thinking in a very different way from the rest of the society. And then the other verse about arrogance. Stay away from arrogance in words and in mind. Some people might not be arrogant, but they sound arrogant. And some people might not sound arrogant but the arrogance is in their mind that's why in this arrogance is all perdition all destruction 
That's why, especially when we raise a new group of servants, one of the key criteria to be a servant is to learn how to submit and obey. Those who don't have that mindset, those who don't have that mindset, it's impossible for them to become a good servant because in that arrogance will be the perdition of the person and those who serve with him and those served by him. Okay, so, so we have to examine ourselves and clean our hearts and minds from every, every sense of arrogance, every sense of arrogance. I promise you guys, there's so many people in high positions, like with, by the world standards, you know, they reach the highest positions anybody can reach in, in different areas. And those people would clean the floor. They would say, Hadrabuna, yes, Abuna, Amra Kabuna, whatever you want, Abuna. And there's some people who've been in high school, high school, and you try to talk to them, they're full of arrogance and conceit. There's no, there's no way. There's no way you can even have a conversation with them. It's a state of mind. It's how you were discipled. So you guys have to be careful to disciple yourselves to be humble. It gives you grace in the eyes of God. And if you don't, in that arrogance is perdition, like the scripture teaches us. Verse 15. And whoever has done any kind of work for you, immediately pay him his wages and do not let the wages of your hired hand remain with you at all. So this is something really interesting because in the scripture, we're hearing that when we owe somebody something, whether for work or anything else, we're not supposed to delay and extend and torture the person waiting to receive their wages for any work they do for us. It teaches us to be zealous and to be eager to pay them right away and take care of them. And this applies to everything we do, whether we owe or work or whatever it is. Okay. So this is the mind of the scripture. This is the mind of the scripture and whatever you would hate to have done to you by another, see that you never do it to another. Christ said the same thing, but Christ said in reverse in positiveness. So up until Christ, this used to be the standard, you know, don't do into anybody what you don't want them to do unto you. Christ said, but do unto others what you want them to do unto you. He took it one step up, not just don't do the bad. So he said, do the good as if you want them to do to you. So this is the enlightenment that Christ have brought to the world. But in the ancient world, in the scripture, in the Old Testament, it's whatever you don't want anybody to do to you. Don't do it to anybody. If this, when somebody does that, it bothers you. Why are you doing it? When somebody says something like this, it hurts you. Why are you, why are you, why are you doing that? So this is very important. If you have that mindset in everything that you do, it's, it, it's, it's going to help you on the spiritual level and on the personal level and in the social level as well. Eat your bread with the hungry and the needy and cover the naked with your own garments. Again, it's actually charity that Tob Tobias is telling his son. And uh, basically eat the bread with the hungry and the needy. This is, this is something that even Christ elaborated on and Christ did himself. So some of those things Christ did literally himself and cover the, the naked with your own garments. When you see somebody, you know, in desperate need, you give from your own, you give from your, even your own thing that you have. 
So this is the Christian mind. This is the mind that we should all have. This is the kind of caring we need to have for everybody around us. Set out your bread and your wine at the burial of just of a just man and do not eat and drink from it with the sinner. So in the ancient world, in the, in the old times, whenever there was a, a funeral, you know, because the family of the deceased person could not really handle cooking or preparing food for all the guests who come to, to, to you know, to offer condolences, different people in the city or the village used to make food and lay it on a table for all the guests to eat because it's been a long day. So therefore he's saying, set your bread and your wine at the burial of a just man. Participate in the good things that the people around you do uh, when somebody, uh, you know, like passes away for an example. But do not eat or drink from it with the sinners. Do not eat your bread with the sinners. Do not be buddy-buddy with somebody who's a sinner. Do not take sin lightly. Those who hate Christ, you cannot be friends with them. Those whose sin is their way of life, you cannot share bread with them. You can love them and care about them, but you cannot be so close to with them. Always seek the counsel of a wise man. And this is, guys, we see this in the entire scripture left and right. The fathers say, even tell us if you don't have a counselor, if you don't have somebody to advise you, go find somebody to advise you. That's why some young youth say, okay, if I do that, when am I going to learn how to be independent? When I'm going to learn how to be my own man? When I'm going to learn all that? You learn. But with the counsel and the advice of those who got entrusted to take care of you. So you always have to seek counsel. And the wise man seeks counsel. If you always ask yourself, is what, am I do is what I'm doing is good or bad, right or wrong, you're on a good track because you have self-awareness. But if you have the mindset, of course, I'm okay. Like, who cares? I'm fine. I'm, I'm... So if you have the attitude towards something, I would worry that you're probably walking down the wrong path. That's why seeking advice and seeking counsel is something commendable by God. Bless God at all times and petition him that he direct your ways and that all your counsels may remain in him. Beautiful. So if there's one thing I want you guys to get out of this, it's this verse. Bless God at all times. Praise God and thank him and honor him at all times. And petition him that he direct your ways and that all your counsels may remain in him. Ask God to show you the way and to direct your footsteps and to guide your decisions and guide your way until the end. Beautiful. David have said that, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths. Lord, I don't know, I do not know the way in which I am walking. Show me that way and guide me in that way. So that's exactly what we need to be doing. We're asking God and petitioning him and, 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 and dearly offering deep prayers for God to guide our ways and show us his ways. Beautiful prayer. If you take this and apply it tonight in your personal prayer, blessed are you. Lord, show me and direct your show me your ways and direct direct my ways that all my counsels, all my ideas, all my decisions may remain in you. It's your decisions. And now I reveal to you, my son, that I lent 10 talents of silver while you were still a young child to Gabriel in Rages, a city of the Medes. Gabriel is Sarah's, uh, Gabriel is, 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 um, is a guy, I talked to you about, I talked to you about him in the first chapter. 
um, that when he was in need and Tobias had more, he gave him a big sum of money to get started on his feet and trade with them so he can function because Gabriel could not, could not really um, afford anything at the time. And then they wrote a paper, a document, a promissory note that Gabriel would pay him back when he's able. A city of the Medes. And I have his written agreement with me. And so inquire how you may travel to him and receive from him the aforementioned weight of silver and return to him the written agreement. Do not be afraid, my son. We do indeed lead a poor life, but we will have many good things if we fear God and withdraw from all sin and do what is good. So now um, um, Tobias is telling his son to go on a trip to that country that's hundreds of miles away, that city in Meads, and to inquire about this guy and take that copy of the promissory note and tell Gabriel, uh, can you please pay us back um, what you owe us? Because we need it now, now that my father's blind, now you know that Tobias is blind and things are not going as good as we want. Uh, it would help us out a lot to give us that sum of money back. But he reassures him, if we fear God, forget all that, forget the actual business side. If we fear God and withdraw from all sin and do what is good, things are going to be fine. Okay, our life might not, be, might not be great at the moment, but in fearing God, staying away from sin and doing what's good, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to change. Okay, this is chapter four. Chapter five, we'll finish quickly, I promise. Then Tobias responded to any questions so far about chapter four. Any answers? Okay, then Tobias responded to his father and he said, I will do everything just as you have instructed me, my father. But I do not know how to obtain this money. He does not know me. I do not know him. And what proof shall I give to him? And what? And I do not know any part of the way which leads to that place. So basically, Tobit Jr. is saying, I don't know the guy. He doesn't know me. I don't have any papers from you. I don't have any agreement that you mentioned. Um, and I don't even know where he lives. I don't even know how to get to that city. I don't know anything. This is like, you know, how can, how can I even help? Then his father answered him and said, indeed, I have a written agreement about that in my possession. I have this promissory note, a copy of it, right here in my possession, which when you show it to him, he will immediately repay. He will immediately repay. But go now and inquire after some faithful man who would go with you to keep you in safe return for his wages and save, keep you safe in return for his wages. So basically he's going to go with you, travel with you, and you pay him for his companionship and guiding you like a tour guide so that you may receive it while I am still alive. So get that money while I'm still alive because things are not looking great. Then Tobias departing found a splendid young man standing girded and seemingly ready for travel. And not knowing that he was an angel of God, 
he greeted him and said, where are you from, good young man? And so he answered, from the sons of Israel. And Tobias said to him, do you know the way that leads to the region of the Medes? And he answered, I know it. And I have frequently walked through, through all its path. And I have stayed with Gabriel, our brother, who lives in Rages, a city of the Medes, which is situated at the Mount of Egbatana. Tobias said to him, I implore you, wait here for me until I tell you, I'll tell these same things to my father. Then Tobias entering revealed all things, all these things to his father, and upon which his father in admiration asked that he would enter to him. And so entering, he greeted him and said, may the gladness be always with you. So let me just, you know, summarize all this. If you guys remember in the last Bible study, with the two prayers of Sarah and Tobias happening at the same time, different places, that God commissioned Archangel Raphael to go and take care of them, to go and solve their problems, the problems of Sarah and the problems of Tobias. So now it so happened that, so I want you to understand how God works. So, so all of this seems normal. You know, um, Tobias is blind. He thinks he's dying. He prayed about it. So he commissioned his son to go and travel. Sarah is going through all that. She's depressed and she's sad and she's awaiting for God to either take her or send the good guy her way. So now the guy is going about his business, going about his everyday life. He's trying to find a guy to travel with him to that place, like a tour guide. And then he finds that angel that he thinks is a man and then the angel is going to literally take him to that place. So the point I'm trying to say here, God meets us guys in our everyday life. God meets us in our everyday life. God is in every part of our life. He's not only secluded or excluded to the church or a building, even though he has a special presence in the church. And in the church, we have the most intimate relationship with him when we receive his body and blood. Yet, we find God in every place. That's why in the liturgy of St. Cyril, that many of you know I love praying so much, it says this in the beginning of the, um, in the uh, beginning of the anaphora. You know, the part that says it is meet and right, meet and right, meet and right. It says it's meet and right and profitable and good for us to do what? To praise you, hymn you, bless you, glorify you, and worship you. Okay, that's all great. We hear this all the time. But the next sentence is a key. In, in every place of your dominion, every place of your dominion, every place where God reigns, we're supposed to honor, bless him, worship, glorify our God. That includes school, work, street, square, corner, Kroger, Walmart, Walgreens, anywhere we are. Okay, and of course, we mean this in our interactions, not sit there and start singing uh, Lord of Mercy. I'm just saying in our, in our normal interactions with people, God is with us, God is here. This is a place that God owns. This is the place of God's dominion. Nobody can exclude God from any place in the world. So, so God meets us in our everyday life. And if you have this mindset in your life, it's impossible not to meet God in your school. It's impossible not to meet God at work. It's impossible not to meet God in your family. It's impossible not to meet God in the street. It's impossible not to meet God when you're driving. If you have that mindset, try it. 
in every place of your dominion. And Tobit said, what kind of gladness will be for me? So the angel greeted him a beautiful greeting, said, may gladness be always with you. This reminds us when the angel came and told who Gideon, the Lord be with you, O man of valor. Um, and then he answered him in a very grumpy way. He said, my master, if the Lord is with us, why did all disasters come upon us? So the angel is greeting him with a beautiful greeting. First, he doesn't know he's an angel, but he told him, may the gladness, may joy be always with you. What a beautiful greeting. May joy be always with you. And Tobit said, what kind of gladness will be for me? Since I sit in darkness, I can't see and not and do not see the light of heaven. What gladness are you talking about? I'm miserable. I'm blind. You know, that thing came into my eye and now I can't see. And I, I, I lost my job. I can't work. And now my wife works and barely we can afford to live. What gladness are you talking about? And the young man said to him, be steadfast in soul. Your cure from God is near. What a beautiful response. So sometimes when things look messed up, when things look messed up, the cure from God is near. The cure from God is near. Bob Carlos VI used to say something along the lines, after the darkest part of the night, the dawn shines, the light comes. And when we look at the church, speaking of Bob Carlos VI, before Bob Carlos VI, the, 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 everything was a mess. People didn't know the right from wrong. Some Coptic Christians were fasting Ramadan. That's all they knew. But yet, when the, the, the cure, the cure was from God, from God was so near. And those people, and those people, right before Pope Carlos became ordained as a Pope and Patriarch, were not seeing that cure yet. But it was right there, it was right around the corner. It was only a year away. And God cured the church and changed everything by 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 his mighty hand. So sometimes when things seem messy, be assured. That's why. That's why it says here, be steadfast in the soul. Some, some of us are not steadfast in the soul. We freak out and we completely not only mistrust God, but we judge him. That he's slow, he's not helping, he's not even there or whatever. But being steadfast in soul means that we're assured. I know that God will act. It's impossible that God will not act. It's impossible that God will, will abandon me. I had, a, I had a friend of mine uh, when I was in DC uh, who had a, who stuck with a needle when he was helping some, uh, one of the patients and the patient was sick with two uh, uh, transmissible illnesses. Anyways, um, and anybody would freak out, you know, no matter who you are. Um, but this guy had a very, very, very righteous friend. And, um, and you know, that friend who had that, that Christian upbringing was so strong. So when the guy was freaking out and telling our other friend about this, um, that friend told him, God will never allow this to happen. God will need the needle maybe have one through your skin and God in touch with your bloodstream, but God will never allow this to happen to you. And the guy who was injured took that at face value. He took that and say, that's going to be my prayer. God will never let this happen to me. And, and on that reassurance, nothing happened to him. But something could have happened. But I'm just saying that being steadfast in soul, 
knowing that I'm reassured of God, I know who he is, and I know that he's capable, and I know he's got my back, and I know, and I know, and I know, and I know. This is being steadfast in soul. How many of us are steadfast in soul when they get rejected from one school or couldn't find a job or they have a struggle at work or somebody's giving them a hard time or they break up a relationship? How many of us are steadfast in soul? That's what we need to be, steadfast in soul. Your cure from God is near. And indeed it was. Next verse. And so Tobit said to him, are you able to lead my son to Gabriel and Rages, a city of the Medes? And you return, and when you return, I will pay you for your wages. And the angel of the Lord said to him, I will lead him and I will bring him back to you. And Tobit responded saying, I ask you to tell me which family or which tribe are you from? And Raphael, the angel said, do you seek the family of the one you hire or else the hired hand himself to go with your son? So he's asking him, why does it matter the family if you just the person who's going with your son is trustworthy? Like, why are you even asking that question? Well, I'm, I'm from a good family, but I'm horrible. Well, I, you know, so, so the most important thing, you got somebody trustworthy who's going to take care of your son. But lest perhaps I cause you to worry, lest I offend you. I am Azariah, the son of Hananiah the Great. Um, so he could have completely stopped at asking that rhetorical question. But he didn't want to offend him, just out of kindness. Sometimes, guys, some people uh, approach us and talk to us about some things. And, um, and we kind of have every right not to answer them have every right not to respond, you know, um, politely, but sometimes we stop short of being kind and loving toward our brother, even though they shouldn't be even asking that, but out of kindness, out of avoidance to, to make them feel bad, I will carry on and talk to them. So this kindness is required guys, being kind to one another in that way, being loving, and not causing one another to be offended. Of course, there is boundaries and guidelines to everything, so it's not a, a blank statement. And Tobit responded, you are from a great family, but I ask you, do not be angry that I wanted to know your family. So see in response when he was kind, Tobit told him, you know, your family is amazing, but do not be angry. Don't be offended, sir, because I was asking about your family. So, so, so the kindness is returned. When you're kind, that's why the Bible teaches us that the kind word, when you say a kind word, somebody like somebody is, is upset and, and you say a kind word to them, that kind word makes anger run away. It makes the, the horrible situation turn into an amazing situation. But the angel said to him, I will lead your son safely and I will bring him back safely to you. And so Tobit answering said, may you walk well and may God be with you on your journey and may his angel accompany you. It's beautiful that Tobias was praying that his angel accompany them, the man and his son. And it was the very angel of God himself, the archangel Raphael, that was, that was guarding and protecting and leading his son. Then when all things were ready, which were to be carried on their journey, so they got their luggage going. 
Tobias said farewell to his father and to his mother, and the two of them walked together. So this is a beautiful scene, if you think about it. Think of to, to, Tobias, Topa Jr., as being uh, the only son of that family. And he's going a country, to a, almost a different country, hundreds of miles away. And this is the first time probably that only child leaves his parents. And the parents are worried sick about him. And you're going to see that in a second. And you're going to see it throughout the rest of this book. But then they're leaving their son in the hand of the archangel of God. Think about it. He's leaving his parents and walking away. But he's walking away in the very protected hand of God through his archangel. That's why Pope Shenmuda, by the way, used to say whenever he was traveling internationally, he said he used to say, I love it when people tell me, okay, may you be kept in the hand of God, or may the hand of God preserve, preserve you. That may the hand of God be carrying you from one place to another. That's literally in Arabic what, what, it, what, what, what it entails. But literally as if the hand of God is taking him from his sea in Egypt, and carrying him every place, every place he has to go and returns him back. So beautiful to think that way of the providence of God, the providence of God. And when they had set out, his mother began to weep. So now the mom started to weep, to cry and say, you have taken the staff of our old age and you have sent him away from us. So the staff of our old age, guys, when parents get older, they lean on their kids, they count on their kids, take care of them. So when that, so it's like a staff, not literally, it's metaphorically, to count on, to lean on. So um, so she started basically saying, you messed up. You know, Tobas, you sent our only son away, and he was the only good thing we had left. He was the only hope that this life would turn around for us. And look at you, you just sent him away with this stranger guy, and he's going away, and he may never come back. I wish that the money, I wish that the money for which you sent him had never been. So she's saying, I wish that money that you loaned, we never even had in the first place. I don't care. So this, uh, that's a wife husband talk. So just, just, you know, so basically she's emotional. She's crying and she said that her son has left. Watch how the pious relationship in marriage works, because we learn a lot about marriage in this book. For our poverty has been sufficient for us so that we might count it as riches that we saw our son. So, so she's continuing her weeping and basically saying, it's enough that we're poor and, and we had a son and this was enough to console us. Now we have taken that away, like I told And listen about how the husband talks. He said, do not weep, do not cry. He did not yell. He did not say, what's wrong with you? He did not say, you're a crazy lady. He did not say, you know, are you beside yourself? He did not say, stop guilting me or stop criticizing me or stop, blah, blah. you know, he didn't say any of that. He said, do not weep very lovingly, very kindly. Uh, he, he was understanding of her emotions. And this is the foundation of any relationship that you understand the other person and you know what they're going through. If you do that, you can have an amazing relationship in marriage. If you're always thinking about me, 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 my of course, that's why entitlement and arrogance leads to perdition, even in marriage. 
it's me, it's how I feel, it's what I need and what I want. And if you think like that, you're on your way to perdition. Good luck. But if you think about how the other person thinks and you care about their feelings, naturally you're going to speak like Tobias. Naturally you will speak like Tobias. Do not weep. Do not weep. He could have said honey there, but the, the inspiration didn't write that down. Our son will arrive safely. He will return safely to us and your eyes shall see him. Very strong words. So he did not react. He didn't get mad. He told her to stop weeping. There's no reason to weep. Our son will come back safe. He will return and our eyes will see him again. This is exactly what I meant by being steadfast and sold. You're reassured of the very promises of God. Just like that dude I told you about in DC that said to the other dude, like God will never allow this to happen. Very full of assurance, very confident in God. So Tobias had the same confidence and he relayed that confidence to his wife in full assurance and for leadership. For I believe that the good angel of God accompanies him. Isn't that funny? He believes deep in his heart that there is an unseen angel guiding his son and taking him to the rages, to meads. And yet that very angel was seeing him eye to eye and he's the same angel that's taken him where he needs to go. So his belief was absolutely even above and beyond what he would imagine. So I believe, for I believe that the good angel of God accompanies him and that he orders all things well which occur around him such that he will be returned to us with gladness. Beautiful. And this shows the faith of people who experience God. You guys know about Tobias from the last few chapters, how amazing he was. This life, this way of life generates faith and generates trust for God. So you read this and somebody's very reassured of God's promises, very reassured that God will act and will act in the benefit of their son. At these words, so see how beautiful that relationship is. At these words, his mother ceased weeping and she was silent. He told her not to weep, she stopped weeping. And she was silent, that means she didn't continue to nag and complain and judge. She accepted, she believed the words he said. She responded favorably to the words of Tobias. And this shows that beautiful uh, mutual respect that, that's existing in good relationships that have gone in their midst. It's beautiful. And this is an example of how a dialogue goes between righteous people. So this is the conclusion of the um, of the of chapter five. It's seven fifty nine. So take good on time. Uh, any questions, answers, comments? Uh, I would love to hear comments, guys. Uh, sometimes you might uh, have a better perspective than me on something or another. So please don't ever be shy to uh, to share share perspective. This has been a beautiful book. Um, any questions?